Society 13 Podcast Network. Redefining Podcasts. Society-13.com. I like to listen. History tells the story of the world and of our lives. Sometimes that history goes bump in the night. Broadcasting from the center of oddity and the supernatural in central Florida, it's the History Goes Bump podcast. Hello, you spooktacular people. Welcome to this 159th episode of the History Ghost Bump podcast. Ghost tours for the theater of the mind. I am your host, Diane. And this is Denise. On today's episode, we are bringing you the Devil's Tramping Grounds. These are several locations throughout the world that all have the word devil in their name and for a very specific reason. There's a lot of legend and lore behind these locations, and that's the reason why they have these names and I've often heard people theorize that sometimes these places have devil in the name, Denise, because there's some kind of evil connotation there that the devil is visited, something like that. And with many of the locations that we're going to be covering, that is true. We're only going to be covering a handful of them. I have a feeling this is something that we're going to return to again in the future because there literally are hundreds of locations that have some derivative of devil, Satan, hell, something like that in their names before we do that, we'd love to have you check out our website, historygoesbump.com. Denise, if people want to send us feedback, where can they do that? They can do that at historygoesbump at gmail.com. We wanted to let everybody know for the second year in a row, iTunes has put us out in the scary story collection on the very front page of iTunes. So we're very honored to be there again. Yes, we are. We're in there with a lot of great other podcasts. So congrats to all the rest of you who are up there with us. And speaking of congratulations, we should send some out to Matthew and Amanda Herons. Yes, we should, because they have a new little addition to their family. Absolutely beautiful little princess. We've been recording a lot of these shows back to back. So, Denise, we actually only have one person to welcome to the Spooktacular crew. Oh, just one. Just one. It's Elizabeth. So stand in the glory of that spotlight all on your own, Elizabeth. Hey, Elizabeth. All right. Are you ready to check out some of these devil's tramping grounds, Denise? I most certainly am. Let's do it. All right. Become an executive producer of the History Goes Bump podcast for as little as a buck a month. For $5 a month, you can access exclusive content like the Haunted True Crime bonus cast. And for $10 and above a month, you get all that plus awesome History Goes Bump gear. Check out patreon.com slash historygoesbump for more information. Or you can give us a one-time donation by clicking the donate button at historygoesbump.com. History is full of oddities, curiosities, mysteries, and the truly bizarre. Welcome to this moment in oddity.
In April of 1977, there were three separate sightings of a creature that cryptozoologist Lauren Coleman named the Dover Demon. Bill Bartlett was a 17-year-old boy who was driving through Dover, Massachusetts at night. He was shocked when he caught a creature in his headlights. It was the size of a dog, and he at first thought that that's what he was seeing. But as he looked closer, he saw that it had glowing orange eyes, long spindly legs, and a large bulbous head. The thing had slender fingers that it used to grasp the pavement, and it was hairless. Bartlett drove away terrified and sketched what he had seen. The next day, he showed it to his friends. An hour after Bartlett's sighting, a 15-year-old named John Baxter claimed to see the creature while he was walking home with his 13-year-old friend, Pete Mitchell. Baxter described it as bipedal with orange eyes. He drew a similar sketch. The next day, 15-year-old Abby Brabhan and 18-year-old Will Traintor claimed to see the Dover Demon from their car that they had parked on the side of the road. Their descriptions were similar, only they described glowing green eyes. They said that it was the size of a goat. They drew sketches as well. All matched even though none of the individuals knew each other from the separate sightings. Many claimed that the Dover Demon was a baby moose. Lauren Coleman has pointed out that moose were not found in that area at the time. Others thought it was a hoax. Whatever the case may be, the description of the Dover Demon certainly is odd. Grab your slippers, hot chocolate, flashlight, and maybe even that baseball bat. This Day in History On this day, October 27th in 312, Emperor Constantine has a vision of the cross in the sky. This took place on the eve of the Battle of the Milvian Bridge. This would be a battle of Constantine's army against the army of Maxentius, right outside of Rome near the Milvian Bridge. Constantine was directed in a dream to fight in the name of Christ, and he added an intersected chi, an X, and rho, a P, to the shields of his men. What was described as a dream could have been a vision that assured Constantine a victory. The author Eusebius, a Constantine apologist, also described the event in Life of Constantine as, quote, He saw with his own eyes the trophy of a cross of light in the heavens, above the sun, and bearing the inscription, Conquer by this. At this sight he himself was struck with amazement and his whole army also, which followed him on this expedition and witnessed the miracle." End quote. Constantine was outnumbered, but he defeated Maxentius's forces. They retreated over the bridge, and it collapsed, and many men were trampled or drowned. Constantine took the head of Maxentius and rode into Rome. Joe from Curioso Podcast. It's the week of Halloween, so get in the spirit. With history goes bump. Stop. 
study a map of the world with a focus on name places that carry the word devil in the name or some derivative thereof, and you will literally find hundreds of them. What is the fascination with using the devil's name? There are some who believe these places have been named this way because they harbor some kind of evil. Some of them are located at places thought to be crossroads. And it would seem that some of these places do have strange legends or supernatural activity connected to them. These places could be considered the devil's tramping grounds. On this episode, we are going to focus on a handful of these locations that have some very strange or nefarious happenings connected to them. Join us as we explore the devil's tramping grounds. Well, I don't think we could discuss these places without talking about the actual devil's tramping ground. That's the inspiration for the name of this episode, and we'll be giving Stephen Pappas credit for bringing this to our attention. I remember we were setting up camp when he mentioned it to us when we were in North Carolina. Yes, we were. This legendary area has been talked about for hundreds of years. It's found south of Siler City, North Carolina, and I hope I said that right. It's a 40-foot barren circle of land that was first mentioned in history before the Revolutionary War when the first settlers came to Chatham County. So what is the reason for this circle of land to be barren? The legend claims the devil liked this particular spot to work out his devilish plans. He would walk in circles as he plotted the demise of men. His steps killed all the plants that he trotted across in the circle. This legend may seem preposterous to most people, but how about an explanation that incorporates two Native American tribes crossing paths in a very violent way on this spot? The losing tribe fled to the coast and became the Croatian tribe. The fight was intense and much blood was shed, so much that it killed the vegetation in the circle. But this is not why nothing continues to grow there. The natives claimed that the gods decreed that nothing could grow there as a reminder of the war. But logical people believe that science can give us a real explanation. As was the case with the Hoyobachu forest, scientists have tested everything in the area. They did find a high content of salt, which could perhaps cause greenery not to grow, but what explains the perfect circle? There are hauntings related to the circle lending credence to the idea that this is a supernatural spot. Objects placed in the circle will be moved outside of the circle overnight. There are stories that anybody who spent the night in the circle would come out of the circle completely insane. This was because it was claimed that they could see the devil's true face when they spent the night. A young woman by the name of Sarah camped at the site with some friends. They set up their tents and climbed in for the evening. Sarah was awakened in the middle of the night by whispers outside of the tent. She at first assumed another group had ventured to the circle. She poked her head outside and the whispering immediately stopped and there was no one outside. Sarah went back to sleep, but shortly thereafter there was talking again. But this time it seemed as though something were hitting the tent in several places. Once again, Sarah and her friends found no one outside. Stories like this have been told by many people staying at the tramping ground. People also claim to have seen shadowy figures darting between the trees. It does not help that occult practitioners enjoy using the area for seances and rituals. Have they brought the haunting figures here? We'll probably never know why this area is barren, but it sure seems that something strange is going on here. The next location was suggested to us by Bob Sherfield, and he had told me to check out the Devil's Bridge. And when I did check out the Devil's Bridge, I found out that it's not just one particular bridge. There are several bridges in Europe that carry this moniker, maybe up to about 50 of them. When I googled it, there was a huge list. And this includes the countries of Italy, France, Germany, Portugal, the United Kingdom, and the list just goes on. The bridges share some common elements. 
They date back to medieval times, and rather than just spanning a waterway in a flat line, they are built in a high arc as if to accommodate ships sailing underneath. Some believe that humans could not have built these structures, and thus came legends that the devil built these bridges. In several legends, the price that must be paid to get the devil to build the bridge is a human soul. He says that he will take the first one that crosses the bridge. Each legend has the devil being tricked out of his prize when an animal, either a dog or a rabbit, is first across the bridge. How did these people know that the architect and builder of the bridge was the devil? Many would see a hoof from under the long coat he wore, and there was a tinge of the scent of brimstone whenever he left. Most of the legends that I found about this, it didn't matter what country, what location, they all had the similar story to go with them. So it's it's like this urban legend, and yet there are several bridges to go with it, which makes me think of the crybaby bridges with all the same story, just at different bridges. Exactly. There's a woman, her cow is across the way. She's crying. There's no way that she can get to her cow and bring it back over. Don't ask how it got over there in the first place, but maybe it crossed the water and it just won't come back. But they're all the same, and somehow she gets this guy who comes along that's really the devil to offer to build this bridge, which he does, and then he's supposed to get a soul in in return. And she tricks him by throwing bread or some other kind of food item across the bridge, which makes the dog run across the bridge, and the devil's tricked out of getting his human soul. Next, we have the Devil's Playground. The Devil's Playground was named by the Apaches. This is an area that is drenched in the supernatural with claims that it is a vortex. This is a mountainous area in south-central Arizona. Claims made about the playground are that it has a cave that is an entry into the subterranean world. Supposedly, an ancient spiral staircase can be found in the tunnel that penetrates into the bowels of the earth. Time and dimensional shifts have been reported by visitors. The Circle Stone Medicine Wheel is an artifact comparable to England's Stonehenge, and it's found here, 6,000 feet up in the mountains. Next, we have Devil's Island, Nova Scotia. Devil's Island off Nova Scotia has a rich history of hauntings and unexplained phenomenon. It's located at the northeast entrance to Halifax Harbor. The first mention of the island came in 1711 when it appeared on a French map of the province of Nova Scotia. The name used to be Roos's Island because the original owner was named Captain John Roos. The name was changed to Wood Island because of all the trees, but after a fire wiped all the trees out, people started calling it Deville's or Duval's Island, which was later anglicized to Devils. A community of European settlers grew up on the island in 1830. A school was built along with a general store and there were once two lighthouses. Only one still remains and that is the Southeast Lighthouse. A house once stood on the island that was reputed to be very haunted. As a matter of fact, those early settlers claimed the entire island was haunted. One year, a lighthouse keeper was working to spiffy up the place, and he decided to put a new coat of paint on the stairs. He finished up and turned to collect his painting tools and material. When he turned back around to survey his handiwork, he was astonished to find footsteps in the fresh wet paint. He was the only person at the lighthouse. One of the rumors about how the island came to have the name Devil spawns from a story about a man named Casper Henneberry. He may have had too much to drink one night, but he claimed that one evening he found a talking halibut that claimed it was the devil himself. Casper told the townspeople, but they laughed at him. They weren't laughing the next day when Casper was found hanging over the side of his boat, drowned. And thus the island got its name. That haunted house we mentioned was the victim of several mysterious fires. People who lived at the house and those who visited claimed that objects would move on their own and that weird knocks would be heard in the walls. 
Foul odors would seem to come from nowhere and disembodied voices were heard. The house was eventually raised, but this hasn't stopped the paranormal activity. Strange lights and fires are seen where the house once stood. In the mid-1990s, a camper, who was also a fan of the paranormal, decided to put the island's haunted reputation to the test. He set up camp near the lighthouse keeper's house. He noticed in the evening that a light was visible in a window. There's no electricity on the island, so he decided to check out the house and see what was making the light. He discovered a candle in the window, but it had been blown out apparently. He felt the wick, and it was still warm. He looked around to see if he could find anybody in the house. He found no one, and he was quite unnerved because earlier he had explored the island, and there was no one on the island but him. Next, we're going to head to the Devil's Backbone, and this one was suggested by Whitney Land. We know that we have many beer drinkers out there, so you might be familiar with the Devil's Backbone Brewing Company. The Devil's Backbone that this is named for was a perilous cliff area in Virginia that was surveyed by men like Thomas Jefferson's father. Their task was to carve and measure a straight line that was 80 miles long and would come to be known as the Fairfax Line. They also wanted to trace the source of the Rappahannock and Potomac Rivers and tried to connect them. One of the surveyors wrote in his journal, Friday, October 3rd, thence 604 poles to the top of Devil's Backbone to the Chestnut Oak we marked 31 miles. This day several of the horses had liked to been killed, tumbling over rocks and precipices, and we ourselves were often in utmost danger. This terrible place we call purgatory. What's interesting about that story is that the Devil's Backbone that we are specifically talking about that Whitney suggested to us is in Texas. The road people drive along is called Purgatory Road. So I thought that was a real interesting little bit of synchronicity that you have these two different places that are called the Devil's Backbone. And the one uh, gentleman who was surveying it called it Purgatory. And this location named their road Purgatory. It is part of Edwards Plateau and runs from Wimberley to Blanco. The hills are made from limestone. We know what limestone tends to do. Occasionally, a bizarre creature will appear on the hood of people's cars. I couldn't find a description for what it looked like, but I maybe we don't want to know what it looked like. Sound like some kind of cryptid. Whitney wrote, One of my favorite features of the hill country in Texas is a limestone ridge called Devil's Backbone. It's a beautiful drive and a popular ride for bikers. There are tales of seeing ghosts of Spanish monks, Native Americans, the spirit of a wolf, and even Confederate soldiers riding their horses. This area had a spot on an episode of Unsolved Mysteries. So that was one of my favorite shows when I was a kid. So I went, oh, awesome. There are reputed to be many ghosts here that include a miner's widow and child, a Native American cattle herder named Drago, and a wolf spirit, as Whitney mentioned. The miner's widow is said to be wandering, trying to bring her husband a proper Christian burial. The ghostly galloping of horses is heard across the devil's backbone. Reports claim that the beating of the hoofs can shake a house on its foundation. TVs at the Devil's Backbone Tavern turn off and on by themselves. A hunter claimed that he would never return to the area after hearing the thundering of what he figured were the hoofs of 50 horses. When he looked towards the sound, he saw a Confederate cavalry. A farm family claimed that their son was talking to an imaginary friend who was a little girl he described as having a hole in her head. The girl had told him that her father had shot her. It was a common practice at the time for families to commit murder-suicide during Comanche raids. 
Can you imagine having your child say, oh, I have this little imaginary friend. Let's say her name is Sally. Oh, what does Sally look like? Oh, she has a hole in her head. I know. And then it would be like, oh, okay. said her dad shot her. Okay. I don't think I want you playing with your imaginary friend anymore. No more warm milk before you. Bedtime for you. <laughs> this next location was also suggested by Bob Sherfield. It's called the Devil's Dyke. This is a V-shaped valley on the South Downs Way in Sussex in southern England. It's believed that the extremely cold climate that existed here 14,000 years ago and river erosion helped form the valley. At least, that is what scientists will tell you. The locals will probably tell you various legends all dealing with the devil, which is how this dike got devil in its name. The devil was apparently digging this trench with the diabolical goal of destroying the churches and weald of Sussex with a flood of seawater. The trench was left unfinished. The reasons are multiple depending on the legend told. One claims the devil stubbed his toe kicking a rock and the injury forced him to stop. That rock landed in a valley in Hove that came to be known as Goldstone because of that rock, which had hints of gold in it. That stone can be seen at the Old Shoreham Road end of the park and may have been a center of worship for druids. Another reason given for the secession of digging was the crow of a rooster, which made the devil think that morning was coming and so he ran. And yet another version claims a woman lit a candle after the digging disturbed her and the light chased the devil away. He threw one last shovelful of dirt over his shoulder and the Isle of Wight was formed. But consider this. There have been reports for centuries of sightings of a devil-like creature. So which came first? Did the sightings cause people to create the legend? Or has the legend led to people thinking they are seeing the devil? The Devil's Tree, which was suggested by McKenna Wilson. In Somerset County in New Jersey stands a solitary tree that is known as the Devil's Tree. It is an oak tree with dead limbs that many claim is cursed. Bernard's Township, where the tree is located, was considered one of the headquarters for the Ku Klux Klan in New Jersey, and this tree reputedly was used to lynch African Americans and rebellious slaves. Another legend claims that a local farmer killed his family and then hanged himself from the tree. Whatever is the cause of the curse, it is said that anyone who disrespects a tree by urinating on it or making disparaging remarks towards it will have a mishap later, like a car accident or some other misfortune. Other legends claim that people who get too close to the tree will be chased by a black Ford pickup truck that will then disappear at a certain point. The ground below the tree does not collect snow in the winter, and a nearby rock is referred to as heat rock, and there are claims that it blocks a portal to hell. Our next location is not really a location as much as it's the name of something. This was suggested to us by Konda from Germany. I hope I said that right. It's the Devil's Footstep or Tufelstritt. I'm sure I just butchered that. The so much for your heritage. Yeah, I know. I'm totally German and I can't say a word of it. The Frohenkirche is a Catholic church built in Munich beginning in 1468. It took 20 years to build and architect Horge von Halsbach designed the structure. It was built in the Gothic style out of red brick because it was a cheaper building material. The church was not completed as designed because construction suffered from many financial issues. Many Gothic features were not included initially for this reason. Two towers would not be completed until 1525. They were supposed to have pointed spires, but instead were completed with dome tops. This again was due to funds, and it was thought it would be better for rain. They do not match the rest of the structure, but it makes the church very distinct. It is the largest brick church north of the Alps. There's a unique legend that goes with the church. Konda wrote, This story was told to me by Sister Miriam, a nun who'd been a close friend of my mother. 
The biggest and most recognizable Catholic church in Munich is the Muncher Frauenkirche, translates to Woman's Church. This is where the devil's footprint can be found. It is a black mark resembling a footprint, which according to legend was where the devil stood when he regarded and ridiculed windowless church. Here is the version of the legend that Sister Miriam told me. The devil made a deal with the builder to finance construction of the church on the condition that it contains no windows. This would keep the angels out of the church and therefore ensure that no blessings would come from any ceremony conducted there. The architect, however, tricked the devil by positioning columns so that the windows were not visible from the spot where the devil stood in the foyer. When the devil discovered that he had been tricked, he realized he could not enter the already consecrated church. He could only stand in the foyer and stomp his foot furiously, which left the dark footprint that remains visible in the church's entrance today. Legend also says the devil then rushed outside and manifested his evil spirit in the wind that furiously rages around the church. This church actually has enormous fall winds due to the facade and the positioning of the church. Even on days when there is no wind at all, you will always have a breeze there. Another explanation for the wind is that the devil rode on it to the church, and when he became enraged and left quickly, he forgot the wind there, and it must stay until he returns to retrieve the wind. This wind has been dubbed perpetual wind. Does the devil make himself homes in certain areas on earth? Are these locations harboring something evil? Are these devil's tramping grounds haunted? That is for you to decide. So lots of interesting legends behind these different locations. And I've often wondered when you hear the names if there's something to it. And it would seem that there is. I'm looking forward to checking into some more of these in the future. On our next episode, we're going to be bringing you The Life and Afterlife of Boris Karloff. Some of you may know him as Frankenstein's Monster, one of his more famous roles that he played. And I know many of you know that I am a classic monster movie buff, especially of the Universal movies. So I'm looking forward to bringing that to you guys. And I think it'll help get us a little bit more into that Halloween spirit. Yes, it will. We're almost there, Denise. Just a few more days to go. Well, we want to thank you guys for joining us for this episode. I have been your host, Diane. And this has been Denise. You take care now. Bye-bye. This episode has been brought to you by our executive producers. Thanks. Check out the website at historygoesbump.com.